Yeah, that's um, <laughs> the Everly Brothers. You know, I had like a uh, 50-50 chance there. Yeah, it's Bug Out Square. It's uh, Muni Radio. It's on the corner of 21st in Florida in the beautiful Mission where it's always flat, sometimes sunny. Uh, the sun. You see, the sun is uh, it's a strange color these days. Yeah, there's... Uh, there's smoke in the air. Things are burning. Uh, although, you know, we're we're still doing pretty good here in um, the city by the bay. Uh, the lungs of the uh, massive forest fires. And uh, it, we're still providing the oxygen needed and things are still burning. So um, there you go. Uh, I don't know. You know, what do you... I don't know. It's interesting when he would fly over, because um, I would, <laughs> I would fly, and then you see the, the Sierra, Nevada mountain range, and uh, you can see that that snow, and it's just weird because it's like dry, and then there's this little chunk of mountains, and then there's it just happens to be some white stuff on it, and uh, yeah, I guess it's just not. Um, it just isn't always going to be there. Anyway, um, so, yeah, this is, uh, uh, if you haven't heard, Charlie Watts has died. So he he, uh, he was a Rolling Stone, and he was probably probably my favorite Rolling Stone for, I don't know what reason. I don't know. Just because he was so chill amongst all that stuff. But I don't know, you know, from the persona anyway i mean i'm sure there are, uh there's charlie watts stories out there of him uh but i think uh this day and age the passing of a stone is like uh uh, uh it's a celebration man 80 snatched in the prime of life 80 so you know <clears throat> charlie had a good run so uh, I've just been playing Stones uh, records and uh, Don Everly. I don't know. It's I, I'm, I'm, I, I was like thinking, is it Don or was it Phil? Um, pretty sure it was Don. Phil's has passed some some years earlier. Is it? Am I correct? Thank you. Um, so th- there's there's that. And I, I've got a friend uh, um, Neil back in Chicago, and and he had texted me when uh, uh, the Everly Brothers uh, when it died and uh, I was just like yeah you know and he was talking about a Dylan cover of an Everly Brothers tune and he's like that the only way you could tolerate <laughs> Dylan uh, but um, I don't have that uh, but um, hopefully Neil might call in um, that'd be nice um, 
Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's all right. Eighty, man, that's good. That's a that's a fucking great life, man. That's a a charmed life. Let's see. So um, I think what so what I did is I ran through pretty much ran through most of my uh, Rolling Stone records, uh, one cut each. But you know. I'm going back. <laughs> I'm going back for seconds. So uh, that's what the second hour is going to be. I'll hold on a minute because there's a segment we do here called Rives in the Basement because it's no lie in the basement. We're miles apart. No surprise. Going to rise in the basement. And uh, what it is, it's home record. It's any style, any genre. It just has to be recorded where you live. Um, yeah. So people send me links. Uh, this is A T Vish, A T V I S H. Uh, hold on, we're gonna go do this together because I he sent me something on Spotify which I cannot use. But down, if I would have scrolled, um, so there's like his uh, maybe his web page. Actually, hold on a minute. Do I got? Uh, in... Oh, all right. Shoot, I think I played, I played some of his last week, but let's do this. This is called uh, Glittering. This is Carol Blaze. Glittering, and I'm trying to touch this very, my fingers are so fat. <laughs> I think I got it. Um, hold on, I'm going to do this. Shoot. There we go. Sorry.
Yes, that was uh, that was Carol Blaze. Um, hold on, I'm gonna turn this thing up. Neil, can you hear me? I can hear you. Yes. All right, all right. Hold on, I gotta I gotta turn this down a bit. Um, and uh, so I got I, my friend Neil here. He's uh, he, this guy's huge, man. Um, I, I'm surprised he still takes my calls, but uh, so he's uh. <laughs> He's out there just working, traveling, and we're both uh, we're old uh, homeboys. And uh, uh, we he texted me about Charlie Watts dying, and then yesterday, uh, uh, Don Everly dying, right? Yeah. Am I correct, yeah. Neil? Yes. And um, yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, I'm uh, I'm 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 like uh, you know. It, it long lives you know it's it's not a uh, uh you know it's it, it's sad in, in its in its way but uh yet it's um you know that's like job well done right you know well i think so i mean don everly was i think 84 they said and charlie was 80 yeah i don't know how long i think these things happen in threes right so if we go back another week or so we had uh what dusty hill right from zz top right okay okay how, yeah so we should be done now. All right, so <laughs> no one else is done. Thinking. Whew. All right, yeah, I was just yeah, like, God, that, I was getting a little tweak in the chest. Uh, yeah, I'm okay. Okay, okay don't worry about it. <laughs> right on. So um, the uh, the reason other than just wanting to, to chat with you, so what's going on, man? So uh, for, for those of you out there who uh, don't know who Neil is, he's a uh, – uh, he works uh, in front and behind the scenes of many uh, traveling type of uh, musical acts and, and has worked through the COVID period where everything uh, in relation to that is basically was quashed. Yeah, it's been a little rough. Yeah. I just had another tour cancel with the Keys, the Black Keys, but they're still going forward with uh, the next one coming up. So we'll be going down to, of course, Florida, <laughs> Mississippi. <laughs> Texas, <laughs> Nashville. Of course, that one's not going to cancel because uh, no one cares. <laughs> uh, that's well. That, I mean, I don't know. I mean, kind of my thing is, I'm. I think I thought I got it. Like I never got. I've never been tested, but I think I got it. Like right, like before it was even announced, I got some kind of weird kind of flu for two days and it, and it dissipated. Uh-huh. And then I've been inoculated or vaccinated, and. Vaccinated. Um, yeah. I feel pretty good now, and uh, I'm like, I, I mean, I'm being cautious and, and courteous, but, uh, you know, it's like, Jesus Christ, man, just do it, you know, do it or, or um, you know, don't go to a hospital if you get it and you're sick. Yep. It's just like, you just, just die. I mean, you got to just like, hold, you got to live by your sword, man. <laughs> yeah, you absolutely do. We had, you know, we had a neighbor behind us that, you know, I was talking to him one day mowing the lawn over the hedges and we were he was just mowing the lawn and we he was mowing the lawn and then a couple of days later his uh wife is you know talking to her it's like oh yeah carla's in the hospital it didn't feel well couldn't breathe and he lasted about a week uh, uh yeah so there... just the other day another friend uh his uncle uh passed uh we were at this moth event for npr uh-huh. And his phone rang. His mom never calls him on the phone. He's like, oh, I better take this. And it was his uncle. Didn't get the shot. Uh, so it's like, yeah, I don't know. There's two sides of the coin. But I've seen an awful lot of people that seems, you know, in the music business, uh, all ages, that seem to be, you know, having a lot of issues with this. So I don't – and quite a few deaths. So 
I think between my wife and I, we know like nine people that have died. Jesus. There's a lot. So, and uh, that's not a normal flu season. I don't know. People keep saying, yeah, eh, it's right. a normal flu. Yeah. I don't want to get too in- involved in this. But, no, no. So, but, um, you know. oh, but it, you know, but back to your uh, employment, um, I mean, it, that, to, I don't know. I mean, like, Claudia, she's going to school, and, and they were like, you know, it's special ed kids, and they're like snotting and hugging and, and everything, yep. and it's like, well, what do you do? You know, I mean, are okay, these kids are uh, below the age that they, they could be or right around there, and then, but mm-hmm. it's like, you know, not even the, the, the school um, administrators or anybody is really required at this point. I think it's until, like, end of september or something then it becomes mandatory but you know you uh, get you're gonna get you know four or five weeks in there of uh you know mingling before the uh, the law yeah. takes effect but yeah we just got an email uh yesterday from our son's school he's in eighth grade uh-huh. and uh somebody was in his circle that had it so like you know they just went back they've been in not even a well not even a week i think it's right maybe a week, right but. So what do you? How do you? Know. How do you do that? Is he locked down or just you just? Kinda... No, he's not. He's not locked down. <laughs> We're just hoping for I the mean, best. That's great. It, it, uh, I mean, we've all got our. You know, all right. three of us have our vaccines. You know, he's 13. He was able to get it. So cool. Um, we know. We do know people that have gotten it that have had their vaccines, and so they're like, it. "Man, I'm glad I had the vaccine because it was a day." You know. 24 hours of like pretty weird flu, you know, not normal, but then it, no problem after that. Right. So. Right. I mean, I've had bad flus, right? I'm like, all right, I see this can kill people. You know, I've had a couple of really bad Yeah. Well, flus. you know, the interesting thing, I was talking to a neighbor, and he's like, you know, they were, I think they, they were taking blood, uh, they were looking at blood that they had taken from people like before that February or March of 20, where it kind of came out in the news and right. some of those blood samples were going back to like November of 19 uh, in on the West Coast. And I was like, wow, that's really weird because I was on the road in January of 20 uh-huh. with the keys and I got a really weird flu where I was like that's, hallucinating. That's when I got it, man. It was right when I was hanging out. You in came January. through and we and we hooked up. And, uh, yeah, we and did like San Diego, uh, L.A., San Francisco, Portland, and Seattle up the West Coast. And I was like right. freaking out in my bunk in the in the tour bus, and I like opened up the uh, the curtain, and I looked out at all the other bunks, you know, middle. And of the there night, was the other the like curtain. roadie like masturbating, like what? Yeah. <laughs> no, they <laughs> peeking were through like... your your screen. <laughs> they were all cages, cages <laughs> with like it looked like leopards pacing and. <laughs> Real weird, like skinny legs sticking out that were emaciated with these really long fingernails, like scratching the skin. Like none of this was real. I was hallucinating all of this, and I actually woke somebody up. And I'm like, "Are you? Are we okay? What's going on? Are you alive?" Like, and yeah, we were. You're fine, man. What? So it was. It was fever. Like, fever. Uh, fever hallucinations. Broke. I was sweating bullets. I was like soaking wet. That was like the most I think I've ever sweat from a flu that I can ever remember. Yeah, it's amazing how the body just kind of flushes that out at you know on a good a good uh, yeah. uh, you know immune system <laughs> anyway. Yeah, it was kind of it made for an interesting experience. And uh, uh, when's the last time you've uh, done any sort of uh, psychedelics? If you don't mind me asking. Uh, well, that's the problem, man. I get so 
so involved with work. Simple question, that, Neil. <laughs> I don't need to, you know, it's like, because I have, I've been like, long. it's been a long time for me. It's been like really, I mean, it's been, could be decades for me. I can't even remember, you know. Uh, yeah. Uh, for those of you who are listening, uh, Neil and I go, we, we've, we've had uh, at least one hallucinogenic experience well we'll never forget and it was probably life-altering you know uh and so that that that's kind of the that's the benchmark but i have uh, i think probably the last thing was probably was like some mushrooms or something but this could uh, be 20 but anyway I'm, I'm kind of like now i'm getting this thing you know diego's going off to college and i'm i'm like oh gosh you know maybe you know, maybe I'm due for a little uh, uh, mushroom kind of thing. And then Claudia yeah. was kind of expressing some interest in it. And uh, It's interesting, right? You kind of want to revisit your past a little bit with, like, new insight. My wife has been talking. Uh, she's, like, very athletic. She's in. Uh, she swims with all these athletes that are, like, competitive all around the country. <laughs> and, and some of these athletes, they're, like, into microdosing. Right. Which is, I'm like, microdosing, like, is it what I think it is? And she's like, oh, yeah, they just take really small amounts yeah, of Yeah, just they take, like, not enough, you know. <laughs> no, not enough, right. But it's like, wow, that's, that's like, super broken into the mainstream there. That I mean, these are, like, super jock swimmers that are, like, Yeah, and it's it's mushrooms. it's a big, uh, uh, like, Silicon Valley thing, too, you know. The, the Oh, is it? I don't quite understand. Yeah, it. well, it's like, you know. A little bit. Yeah, I guess if you're saving the world, you know, you have to microdose, so, you know, it, yeah. it's, it sparks oh, the so thing. She's interested in that now. Well, I'm uh, actually Claudia is too, so I'm 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 uh, uh yeah. I'm I don't know. I'm, I may procure. No, I mean, this is all hypothetical. This is all radio stuff, so I don't know, you know, this is not. Right. This is just a, this is theater of the mind. But anyway, so the 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 main the main 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 reason um that I got you on the line is I wanted to get your, um, so we know, like, I've been playing the first uh, hour, I've been playing Everly Brothers and Rolling Stones, mostly Rolling Stones and some Everly nice. Brothers in there. If you got any specific uh, Rolling Stones song or Everly Brothers song um, that I can play for you uh, on this. Well, there's, uh, you know, I, I went through my and Don't go to that collection. fucking D Dylan cover thing, the obscurity That's that the I want. No, I'm just unbelievable. This is on just I all I have is Rolling Stone records and Everly Brothers records. Okay. Well, I was sitting in the pool today listening to uh, <laughs> Sure you were. The the, the uh, above ground pool in the backyard. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a bubble. It's one of those big bag pools. Nice. This is uh this is Midwest living in full effect, man. That's good. Summertime. <laughs> yeah, until a big thunderstorm rolled in. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, and, is uh, are they conductive uh for the 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 big uh the well, pill, I the, got out of there. <laughs> the temperature dropped from like 90 something to like low 70s like almost within minutes wow and uh and then I'm, of course I, you're I, I you're looking at another you had a tornado like a couple blocks from you right earlier this year yeah that one that hit yeah we had one of uh what was it maybe going on two months ago now uh two blocks away as the crow flies i thought it was three but i was
Oh the free will question, because I choose to write about it, see? The collection of regression is the path of my prior choice, and its continuation is my talent, to my belief which is sufficient, for enjoyment, and that is the nature of the universe. To enjoy is purely the functioning of a returning and totality of a system to carry on in perpetuity, as one would like as it is to be enjoyed. Backspace are marvelous, as an adjunct to a concept which doesn't function and a slight correction is within our powers in the near term, and nears what we have at our disposal, to use that term, which is literally in this case, how we transition a set into another set, using perhaps some of the numbers, signed in their maths, for the functioning of further functions, and as numbers are applied within those functions, the other numbers naturally retain until they are further disposed into other functions. And this carries on, with a conceptual idea that there are always a sufficiency in numbers to proceed in our cycles, and those are for the mind, its ability to take what I just learned as reference to this case, the Markov blanket, which is a warm cuddly covering over a distinct collection, taking care of it, and providing its own body for the set of these numbers. If we were to go back, we may imagine exposing this blanket to the elements of prior bypasses of numbering, thus reassigning a similar yet different blanket of numbering, whose reference is now a combination of events as recalled with concurrency of consciousness, and near coupled with the success of our warm blanket prior, we may be inclined to further enjoy the victory, which ought not to diminish, for the time our brains permit an enjoyment without a furthering of development, and this is also within Markov. And so, the free will question comes up at times like these, as evident, and the precursor to that thinking is not immediately evident, but I will and will explain the happenstance of the oncoming and forthcoming spark ability, which is a dull drum of free association, and my own, perhaps. Questioning as to what is free in association, well the return as in free energy as described by Carl Finston, check, describes both Markov and Auer, how did he phrases it? Well I'd have to look it up, and I will in a second. But we already described how numbers are exchanged and so this should suffice, and you needed worry about me looking it up, and you can provide a time to do so, if that is your desire. But back to free association and the thinking that surroundings of everything observed for, by and about, coupled with perhaps randomized memory recall, is our natural response to perhaps a question we didn't hear precisely, as inaudibly, and that these conversations going on are part of their own numbered set and functioning, and perhaps by participating in the numbering without a pure attentive consciousness, as consciousness goes. Our lackadaisical free thinking may offhandedly participate in the numbering, when it doesn't offend or affect our concurrency, and even if it does, and you wind up shouting something from the creases of your own brain, well, that is your personal reaction and your behavior of how you deal with information in your runtime state of whatever you are about at that moment. Sounds a bit obtuse, and it is, for the mere fact that you don't have to respond solely for yourself in all events. That is the benefit towards yourself. This brings us to focus, but more specifically at this time, our reasoning to write, which is to operate the functions which function towards enjoyment, and numbers as a side gig, with focus to apply them to working systems. Satisfied is that, for moments, and further moments at a time, until the function is heavy enough to plot, as observed, or simply proceeds in its imaginary non-imagined though accurate by imagination. Graph. 
it's pointless. Ha! To imagine the graph because you're not purely aware of the numbers which will be presented, further allowing you to trigger available functioning systems. So this is fun, isn't it? The crux of course is how free will affects others, and this is how we have it, because it does affect others, and our combined freedoms allow us to provide for ourselves and others. As our natural abilities and proclivities proclaim for our justification of our own freedoms, as observed in our continued abilities to be free, even shackled with an itch on your nose that you wish to scratch, is a scenario where you could think about butterflies, as I did for a moment, to distract perhaps the ish, and thus avoid the inevitable ongoing one to scratch. Scratch. See I scratch my arm because it was a preset trigger, but if I knew then what I know about itches now, I would perhaps find a better solution. Even that thought may incline you to itch a bit, as the bits of communication on your body chatter about what the hell you're talking to it about and collectively decide to move to the right or up and about and poke particularly on the organ which is your skin, and beneath, where soft tissue and organs may in similar fashion, have gotten some electrics and spin to question and unbalance for a shift? The question now comes to completeness. That is when will this document of recollection and processed formery be finished, and that is to be determined by the body I wish to write and if I wish to continue on the free will theme, or if I wish now to break into a story, or what precisely I will do after this completeness and how does that progress in the cycles I am both perhaps used to, as not a specific action, but functionally within the near space is available for me to process the spatial numbering which is the all the time. And so, my recall is about, and the word is missing, but it's needles on the skin, and specifically my memory is the ear. And the reason I mention this is because its completeness is when it's no longer comfortable, and in fact obtrusive. And so you might have a memory of how long that is, or you may remember the sensation, and you may do a combination of these, and even imagine a discomfort, and that is actual, and that is still completeness, and you may further decide the effects were ineffectual to your desire. Acupuncture is the word, and it's no longer needed, but there it is, written down. Combined with this concurrency of various discomfort, I realize further motion will be required to complete this work, as well as become comfortable, and I do want you to leave with a warm feeling about the presented material facts, and these are part of them, and so I share that and preclude to provide what I believe will be needed in the future, while perhaps ignoring the immediacy I so often talk about, which, indicates that while functioning in physics, this may introduce a behavior in yourself, which I am indicating, which is to listen to this podcast until completion, and perhaps now you are expecting the completion, and the ish has begun, and more specifically, said to regain your focus, the time at which you hear this messaging is the time our systems have then formed a mantle, with my words, and hence as carefully as I chose, and your time in and about your own functioning brain and etc. That mantle provides for me my future, our future, choices as in free, as in free energy and thus will footnote this in brief to the wire an article I read just this morning, about the explorations of Carl Friston, and the direct quote of preponderance, free energy is the difference between the states you expect to be in and the states your sensors tell you that you are in. When you sense you are within something, you are, and the difference, is your, the natural you, allows to proceed to the result which, in expectation, is the precursor to other eventfulness in these functions, or blankets as both Markov and Friston utilize. 
This explains it to me, and it's a novel used to utilize the remainder towards the benefit of something which already exists, expectation, hence the free nature of this economy, as everything is utilized while motion proceeds. Good. Done. This has been and is still, emotionary and ongoing in spatial cosmistry, a bit from the left off-center city by and about the Bay, San Francisco, Oakland, Berkeley, to name a few which are on my mind this November the 10th, in our year of the hindsight, 2020, AquaQC3W. I got a little lost, and then, so when I stopped, it was still two and a half miles back to my Airbnb, which was right by the studio. So you, you, ran, you probably ran up Pacific Heights. Run down uh, any maybe. steps? I ended up running like into a marina, which didn't have a bridge back to the oh, mainland. Oh, so you caught it up. You caught it up back to the marina. And then um, you... Before we go on, I just want to timestamp that it's six o'clock, and House of Pride is not here. House of Pride is the show here to Amy, to Turner, and not here. Places aren't, and we're commandeering their airtime by being live. Just to let everybody know, oh, we've got. Good. Kevin so is Quigley that like a – that's not one of those shows about how stand-up comedy is harmful to the zeitgeist because it's all about punching down, is it? No, no, no. House of Pride is um, – they're a bunch of drag queens and super awesome people that, like, make music and stuff, like dance oh, music, great. and it's a really great show, and they have a big following, and I just want to let people know that if you're downloading their podcast because this has an auto-podcast signature, or if you're listening live expecting Pika Turner – for House of Pride, you're not getting it. What you're getting instead is Kevin Quigley out of Boston, Pancake, Pam. Pancake? You didn't even identify yourself. Yeah, Pancake is here. Pancake, yeah. Oh, hello. Pancake. How you doing, Pancake? I'm surviving. We're all, I've been having moments of like scared. I've had to like crumple into a corner a couple times because I've been so scared and then I just like pull myself out of it. Just well, you know, it's a little weird because, you know, think of the things they've tried to get us afraid of. Uh, you got your radical Islamic terror. You got your lone white shooter. Uh, yeah, yeah, there was a handful of biological things, but they were pretty small. Like the swine flu, you know, Artists. they tried to make a media scare, but nothing and no one really cared about it. And then you got, you know, natural disasters. I guess out in California, you got those wildfires and stuff. But this is the first thing where you're terrified of something that you really can't see at all. But if you get it, you get a car. Well, it's it's a if it's the reason everyone's so afraid of it, I guess, is because it so severely affects your respiratory people who have compromised. Have to have air to live, you know. So like, if you yeah. cut off. And uh, you know, if you have a yeah, if you have a well, if you have a compromised immune system, a variety of things can kill you. But this is way more intense than a flu. Why couldn't we get a disease like Slipknot? <laughs> that was, I mean, they, they have that. Uh, multiple sclerosis. Uh, polio. But polio. just your oh, ankle. Yeah, polio. The, the problem is back. limited to your ankle. We could bring back polio, and everyone would be less afraid of the coronavirus. Yeah. Well, the problem is, this thing, it's so hard to, um, when they cured uh, smallpox, they got all the people who had smallpox in a quarantine, and then everyone around them who would have interacted with them they gave them a vaccine, and then they didn't need a vaccine. Everyone in the country, they didn't need millions of vaccines. Then that was it. The the virus was completely insulated, and everyone was happy. With this, you have a virus that doesn't show any symptoms for the first 14 days. 
Yeah, that's the crazy. So even if you quarantine all the people showing symptoms, you have no idea who else is about to have symptoms. Fourteen days, that's what I'm doing it. Yeah, well, that's a you know Holy average shit, we need approximation. Exactly. We're, the test kits. We're a month behind. When are the yeah. test kits coming? People are gonna start fucking dropping dead. Eighty dollars a day. I don't think so. Well, you guys got the homeless, you know. Well, they're the good litmus test, right? To see if they go what first. What is this litmus test? Yeah, but be careful. You know, <laughs> you're you're walking down the street. You're not staying six feet away from them. They could be coughing on you. Well, they're, they're hanging low on the ground. Know. They're laying, laying in their tents. Yeah, the okay, litmus well, test is yeah, tent. like that a little piece of paper um, that you would put on your hand. I mean, they don't. But if you think about litmus tests on a larger scale, like historically, how do you tell if something's going wrong? Well, the people most vulnerable are going to be our litmus test to see what's out there. I'm not trying to be callous. It's just that people have been living on the streets for 8,500 plus years. Yeah. Well, these are these are also <laughs> people who, uh, you know, they're, they're, they virtually do not sanitize. Well, so and Pancake just brought up what happens to the people who are quarantined that are drug addicts, and what when happens when they get run out of drugs? They're just going to go out and buy drugs. I don't even know. Probably going to do that's. I mean, that's the same thing I was talking about with how, you know, three weeks from now, all these, like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to say pickup artists because that sounds like a weird '90s term that no one uses. But I don't know. You're gonna get all these men who are, are horned up, and uh, you know, how much pressure can you put on the most wicked? <laughs> That's the same thing with drug addicts. I would, I would also yeah. pontificate. You know, they're gonna start doing whatever the fuck it takes to get drugs. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder uh, how emergency medical personnel handle. Got to get pretty rapidly dealing with what's the uh, what's the needle situation? The homeless guys have like a safe place to get needle needles. Exchange. Yeah, yeah, needle yeah exchange. Sixth Street. Um, there, I know because the Twenty Seven bus every time I go on it, and I get off at Sixth Street. Sixth and Ferguson. Yeah, oh, it's okay. where the methadone and ketamine and opioids. So you're not. Them. They're not. They're not gonna. Because I, I mean, if they were sharing needles, there's a million things you can get. You know. AIDS, which is probably worse, but uh, none I, of the services yeah, are shut down yet. The bus still works here. The BART still works. Like everything. Yeah, our subway is still. still I was thinking, like mm-hmm. you know, especially if you wear gloves, the, the subway here is probably safer than Uber. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on the subway, no one's fucking taking it, so you can stay six feet away from people. And there's not cushion seats and things to like. There's no way to fully avoid all of your contact yeah. space. But who the, the hell knows what happens time. in an Uber? You could sit in an Uber that someone was just coughing in minutes ago. Yeah, exactly. Right? Just when you're on the train, um, you can just like surfboard it, you know, like hands free. Yeah, I do the side of the surfboard motion sometimes. Yeah. The surfboard on the T is nice when you stand in the circle part that connects yeah, the cars. Yeah, well, that's 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 oh, kind of a blue. I, don't, a I blue take the square. orange line, which doesn't have a circle part. Only oh, really? the uh, only the green line has a circle. Oh, thing. I'm, yeah, I'm a green line kid. If I right could, now. the green line is one of the worst fucking lines in terms of like. How crowded they let it get, and they still let people on. Yeah, that D um, line coming into Fenway. Yeah, if technologically I... speaking, it's probably one of the better ones. I, I'm an orange line, so that it doesn't it breaks down a good amount. Uh, the red line catches on fire frequently, so that yeah, was probably there. in my book the one that catches on fire has got to be the worst one. The you know, reds. I, I don't see any argument. 
against that. Um, but either way, you know, if you wear gloves, you can touch the bar. People are probably not going to cough on you because there's so few people. Like I took it last Friday, and it was like, you know, 5.45, and I just hopped on. And I got the first one. Normally, you have to wait like two or three before you can even get on the train, and you're elbow to elbow with people. I was like, well, okay. Like, I can't believe I'm one of the last people to be dumb enough to go into the office. Yeah, no, I just one of those things where I had to go in because they were closing the office for two weeks, which is probably going to become a month. And I wanted to move all my the stuff I had on my desk into a a bin because they're going to clean the whole thing. What did you want to say, Panther? Provider who doesn't sell your data. Have scandal.
audience and comedians from all over the world and those in the building right now this is the first master class of the 2021 mutiny radio comedy festival uh we've never done it before but i'm incredibly excited to bring you this week a collection of podcasts and live streaming tutorials on comedy in where it comes from and your first presenter is so amazing she has an incredible uh, podcast series um, on YouTube. It's not a podcast. It's a video. It's the cutest, most wonderful thing. It's called Giraffe Corner, and it's giraffes giving each other therapy. It's awesome. And she's a hilarious comedian. She's seen at the Punchline. She's seen all over San Francisco, and you get to experience her right now. Put your hands together, everybody, for Lauren Kraut. Yay! Thank you, Pam. Thank you, everybody. Welcome to Using Your Mental Illness for Material. My name is Lauren Kraut, and I guess I should start with a little bit about me. You know me from su such jokes as Suicide Note, Psych Ward Release, and the OCD song. I'd like to count things in my head, because I have OCD, that's all. I'm uniquely qualified to stand up here today. I've always wanted to say that. Because of my long experience as a psychotherapy patient slash nutcase slash comedian. But I'm a little bit nervous and uh, I have to be completely honest with you about that. Um, I debated about whether or not to write everything down and memorize it. But then I thought that wouldn't be authentic and you're paying, what, $500 to be here today? So I wanted to be as authentic and real as I could be. Well, what this seminar is, is a how-to a primer on how to um, use your mental illness in your material um, and get the most out of your clinical depression, suicidal tendencies, anxiety, PTSD, and uh, OCD. Um, what it is not is a recipe for how to go crazy. That I cover in my next series, Go Fast, Go Crazy Fast series, and you can get that for $700. 
Um, but if you want to have a bargain, you can hit me up afterwards and we can do the talk about the two of them. Uh, I thought we'd play a little game in the beginning. Uh, you know, two, um, two truths and a lie. You know that? Two truths and a lie. Uh, about you and your mental health. So um, I'll, I'll go first. Uh, I have to do this elaborate ritual when I leave my apartment every time. I once bit my doctor, and I've been in a psych ward. Which is the truth, which is the lie. Or yes, bingo. <laughs> Pam wins. I have yet to bite my doctor. But the day is still young, so who knows? We'll see. All right, who else, who else wants to go? You want to go? No? No? Okay. You want to go? Okay. We have a microphone. We have a microphone back here, too, that I can just pass to you through the window. Uh, here. Oh, Pam, you gonna do it? I'll play along. I'll play along. I'll play along. Uh, two two truths and a lie. Okay. Um, I uh, I masturbate to my own podcasts. <laughs> I um I I bake bread and uh and I barbecue a lot to re to relieve anxiety. And um, I'm I've done nasty things with my cat. <laughs> yeah, we hope it's the cat. Yeah, it's the cat one. Yeah. I did it. It's hard. It's... I do love my cats, though. Very good. All right, here's the part where we write on the board. Uh, Hemingway said, "Write hard and clear about what hurts." And I say, I add to that. <sighs> write hard and clear and funny about what hurts. That's my touchstone. I'm going to stand up here. Because that's where you find gold. When you, you go for the what hurts, and you try your best, and you go for what's funny. Um, I've had some success as being a, like a spokesperson for mental illness. I tell you what, I've been there already. I've been suicidal and depressed, and so you don't have to. Um, it's worked for me, but um, it's not for everybody, but that's the way I've been doing it. Uh, so squeeze the most out of your mental illness. Get all that you can. Don't just take away the miserable, depressing shit. Get all you can by finding the funny and being in a psych ward. Does your lunchmate stare fixedly at your boobs? Well, then use that to parlay into a conversation about your common humanity and would they kindly, kindly pass the ketchup. Use all the working parts and go for what's uniquely yours. Have you thought about suicide? Chances are you're not alone. And we want to hear how you dealt with it, but for God's sake, make it funny. Use it all. Use the medications, the doctors and the therapists, your family, your job, your psych wards, your suicide attempts, panic attacks, OCD, PS, P, 
what is it, PTSD, the OCD rituals, the shame and embarrassment and the fears, use it all. I have another quote that uh, says, wake up, Lauren, you're not going to be here forever. It's a daily reminder to myself to make the most out of each fucking day. And how does that relate to comedy and mental illness, you ask? Well, it means that you only have a limited amount of time here, so make the most of it. Use what's right in front of you. What is this? Oh, some just old clinical depression? Well, let's parlay that into a, a joke, you know? Because um, it's your story, and it's no one else is like you. It's just yours, and you can make the most out of it. Uh, Maya Angelou said, and I, I can I read this one up in there on there, too? We can give you a little background music while you're writing it down. I'm hoping that later after the seminar you'll actually do a bunch of your jokes so that we can experience the magic and wonderment of your mental illness. <laughs> Maya Angelou, she says, there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. And that's another touchstone that I believe, because how many times have I wanted to kill myself, but I didn't because I went and I wrote down a joke or just wrote down my feelings about what was bothering me. And I believe, I strongly believe this, that it's the comedy that's keeping us alive. Because we do it for ourselves, but we're also doing it for the audience. We do it to help ourselves work through the thing by writing it and then performing it and sharing it with the audience. And they get to the benefit from having to laugh and the shared humanity because they'll say, oh, that's just like me, you know? And it helps you because you're, uh, you're getting it out there. So listen to your heart and your soul and what wants to be told. One of the things that I've learned is that it's not just, not just uh, okay to talk about your mental illness on stage. It's necessary because you benefit and um, everybody benefits. And you get to know each other too, so that's powerful. And an important thing to remember is that while this is therapeutic, telling jokes on stage, it's not therapy. <laughs> so it's important to have a support person, a therapist, your comedy buddies, a friend, somebody, your cat that you go to and share the heavier stuff. You can unpack that with them. Um, oh, how I find the funny. All right, so a couple of my jokes are um, the OCD joke. I talk about how I have OCD and how I have to leave the house when touched everything. And so I just listed it. That was basically how I went about doing it. I just listed what I have to do. Um, will, will you do the joke? Just do the joke. The OCD joke? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh, that we I get the example right there. I haven't done it in a long time. I was going to... Uh, uh, it's okay. You don't have to be on the spot. I can't remember it. It's okay. 
I'll go on to another one where I do know. The suicide note is uh, I wanted to talk about a person with OCD who also had um, suicidal feelings, so to have the two compelling needs at the same time, the OCD and the suicide. So that joke I can do, because I remember that one. Um, one of the hardest things to write and write well is a good suicide note. After you made the initial gut-wrenching decision of whether to use wide or college-ruled paper, you're then faced with the difficult choice of pencil or pen. If you have OCD like I do, you'll understand the challenges at this juncture. Then, who do you address it to? Do you name everyone by name or use some generic, hi, everybody? That's just cold. Thank you. There's more, but I won't do the whole thing. Um, one other joke, self-esteem, the first line came to me whole, and that was a miracle. And uh, I'm grateful for that one. That's, uh, that begins, um, this is what it looks like when your self-esteem hangs by a thread. I just thought of that one day, and it was like, okay, great. Uh, old suicide notes. Um, I wanted to talk about the multiple times that I've been suicidal, and I actually do have a pile of suicide notes. So I went over them and see what stands out. Like, dearest loved ones is probably better than listen up bitches. And when I was looking at it, I thought, what other valuable lessons can I impart? Like, it's damn near impossible to drown yourself in the ocean when you hate getting your hair wet. And they're coming. They're coming for you. They're coming for us. I'll have to cut out and go early. Um, psych ward release was not just the crazy people, but suicidal people as well. And what to say to someone just released was the take that I, I went on it to make it uh, something different. So you ease the transition from the loony bin to the outside world by using a knock-knock joke. And also what not to say. You don't say, hey man, you look like shit. Um, Wake up call, I wanted to get, uh, wanted to say how getting breast cancer was a wake up call to me, and I uh, left teaching and started comedy. Um, it was about priorities, like clutter is not important, but sex and random strangers is. And uh, PSA, I'll do that joke too. Um, that's three different bits of advice for anyone who finds himself in a psych ward. Uh, you want to share your Rice Krispies when asked. This is not the place to make enemies. So pick your fights. Snap, crackle, and pop do not warrant a black eye. Peanut butter, Captain Crunch, I stab a bitch. Two, when your doctor asks, do you have a suicide plan? Tell her it's still at Kinko's. You made copies for everyone. Do not offer her $5 to go pick it up. FYI, Kinko's does carry those hard-to-find do-it-yourself obituary kits. All self I know, cash only up front. And three, do make friends with a phlebotomist. That's the guy who takes your blood. I find whenever a man wants to stick something into me, it's best to be on a first-name basis. If you have any questions, see me after the show. So for finding the funny, look at what you've got and ask yourself, what is it I want to say? What is your intention? I have room up here to write this. Intention. Get clarity. 
believe that you can do it. Own it. And then action. Write the joke. That's no. Ask yourself different questions. Like, what's, what's different or new about my experience? How has this changed me? How do I feel about this change? What am I afraid of? What's funny here? What's funny, what would be funny if, fill in the blank. Um, benefits of laughter. Anybody have any suggestions about what the benefits of laughter are? Not everybody? St I guess you release stress, I guess. Yeah, yeah. stress and anxiety, yeah. yeah. And even depression, they say. But it's not just laughter, I think, it's hope. It's a way to deal with, to cope with life or a reason to keep going. And as comedians, we're extra fortunate because we not only get to laugh, we get to give laughter to everyone. So I say that we should all help break the stigma. There was an article in the Boston Globe, so why are comedians so good about talking about it? And they talked in detail about this. Your, your mic went out. Push oh. the XLR, and I'm sorry. The te technology here is entropy is great. It probably works now. Sorry. There you go. There. Okay. Sorry. You uh -oh. want sisters? The evil sisters of secrecy and shame. We still can't always talk about it, but 19% of adults in last year experienced a mental illness. That's over 47 million people. That's a lot of people. So if you think that you're alone when you're on stage telling your joke, you're not. And only over 10.7 million people had a serious suicidal thoughts last year. So again, you're not alone. How does talking about it help people? Can we open it up to questions? Question? It alleviates the stigma surrounding it. Yes. Yeah, it, it, it talking about it openly uh, normalizes it and uh, makes it so that it, it doesn't seem so insurmountable to deal with it. Yeah. Do you find that in your comedy that it's helped you? Yes, very much. It has. I talk a lot about uh, struggling with mental illness in my comedy, and um, I even talk about how uh, I'm really grateful that there's been such a huge push in the last few years to destigmatize depression and anxiety and uh, how great that is and how, in a way, we're, we're still at the precipice of that and we need to go forward with that more for our, like other mental illnesses and um, how we're still in the infancy of, uh, you know, the destigmatization of mental illness, but it feels hopeful that we're almost there. Yes, thank you. Did you want? Oh, I don't know. Do you have the mic? Do you want to say something? 
Uh, can you repeat the question one more time? Oh, just to, um, how does talking about it help you? Oh, uh, definitely because um, the way you think someone's going to react is very different from the way they actually react. Like, they're never, you're like, oh, if I admit this, you know, terrible things are going to happen, and then you do, and it's fine. And people, you know, and then you find other people who can, uh, who are relating to the same thing. Do you find... Do you find that um, anyone has come up to you afterwards, after you've done a set and talked about it, and said anything that they, they identify? Or uh, I don't talk a lot about mental illness in my comedy, but I did do a joke on um, dealing with uh, like exclusion, and I remember a guy came up to me after, and he said, oh, my daughter's going through this right now. So that felt really good. Yes, yes. It helps when they, when they uh, um, tell you. Sean, have people said anything to you about your comedy when you're on, when you're after you've talked about it? Uh, yeah, it. Um, a lot of people have come up to me and and talked about uh, dealing with uh, mental illness and um, and just how affirming uh, and how grateful they are that I I talked about it and it really, um, it really affirmed my. Um, my desire to keep talking about it and hopefully uh, find more people that can relate to it. It is such a great feeling to know that there are other people who are receptive to what I'm doing and uh, that I'm I'm not alone and that they're not alone. Yeah. Yes. Hello. Welcome. Just to recap for Casey McNeil, this is the, it's cool, you're fine. We're just we're just talking about mental illness and how to use it in the jokes and the catharsis of laughter and all that kind of stuff. This is Lauren Kraut. Welcome. <laughs> do, you, do you find that uh, talking about it helps you? Uh, it depends. Like some people tell me that I should uh, speak to like my addiction recovery and that and I'm just not comfortable with it I'm telling jokes about it I'm just people always well you can make it funny and you can turn it around and you can make it feel different for you I'm just I'm either not ready or never ready or whatever I'm not comfortable with that um but my stuff like my OCD and my ADD that's that's a lot of fun uh the jokes I write are you know they're they're their contrivances often they're not exactly what I the the, the things that the problems I really suffer from are sort of mixed within the stuff that is just sort of made up and contrived as, as a joke. But it's it's fun, you know, to talk about that because it's, it's, I guess, you know, write to what you understand or something, I guess. So I, I enjoy writing those, but I just, I, the other thing, I'm just not comfortable with that. So I guess it's a mixed bag. I have the same thing. There's a, um, I shouldn't have this in front of me. I have, um, I can't even pronounce it, but it's the disease where you pull out your hair Yes, that. Tic yes. Ticotrillomania. Ticotrillomania. And that's like the last frontier, um, one of the last frontiers for me that, to talk about that on stage because it's, it's hard. The, the secrecy and shame is, is a lot for that one, and uh, I haven't found the funny in it yet. I'm working on it. but um, I feel the same way. I finally started doing 
Uh, I had an eating disorder for many years, and I and I switched them. And I always thought, oh, my bulimia is gone. But then I realized I was like, ooh, I'm anorexic. And so I it took me a long time to be able to do jokes about that because I was worried about uh, f- being the skinny bitch or fat shaming people obliquely or just I would I didn't know how to talk about it at all because it was such a like a packed issue for me of like eating not eating what that does to my self-esteem all of that kind of stuff and I finally have one joke about it that I'm really proud of but it's it's been and I love doing that joke but aren't we supposed to trigger people is that bad or good Uh, you know, working every day to get better and that. There were certain kinds of words in that that she would not want me to use and things that she would not want me to talk about and that sort of thing because she just, it makes her think about it in that in that dark place, I guess, or something. I mean, I respected her. I, maybe that's just her thing, you know. <laughs> about different mental illnesses. But I get what you're talking about. Yeah. It can be helpful to a lot of people. Like, my people come up to me after my stuff all the time and go, oh, yeah, ADD, OCD, blah, 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 you know, or I have that or I do this or this. You know, I don't know anybody said like, oh, you really healed me tonight with your jokes. <laughs> you know, that's never happened. But, you know, people people can relate, I guess. Yes. Everybody yeah. can relate to some mental illness. And I think if there is a role of, of comics being philosophers or something of our time, I think sometimes our willingness to expose vulnerability can be helpful to people. I don't think it's essential that we do it on stage. I think what I get from, from my stage performances and how that helps me mentally doesn't necessarily have to be exactly combined to my mental problems or hangups, you know, because it's already a release. But some of them certainly. It helps with some of them. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I tried to, when I got off, when I was recovering from addiction, I just tried to. Quite often. And just anything I could do to kind of control the Until you get down to where you really, you know, where you really have the feels, you, you, you can't be as, so, I don't know, some people kind of, I, I feel like I'm getting, I'm getting better and more comfortable as a comic. I've been in this a long time and I still don't, not comfortable in my own skin. I'm getting more comfortable as a comic the more vulnerable I expose, the more vulnerabilities I expose. Mm-hmm. There's just certain ones that are packed away that I just not interested in. Yes, I know. I'm, I'm the same way. I have trouble talking about, well, I've said it, but I haven't explored in depth about multiple uh, suicide attempts because it's like stigma, major stigma. And uh, I, yeah, yeah. Well, even being in a psych ward has less, but it's, it's, I think people are more aware now that it's not, it's, it's everyday people and it can happen to anybody. Uh, did you want me to do another joke? You could do anything you want. Yeah, I want to, I mean, I, I'd, I'd love it if you shared some of your material so that there's the, like, 
And if you want like a second, I can put up music if you want to like get your performance face on or whatever. Or I can introduce you again or you can run right into it, whatever you like. Oh, all right. I'll, uh, I'll do Psych Ward. Cool. I'll do, just do that one now. Um, okay, let's talk about Psych Wards. A major misconception people have is you have to be crazy to be in one. While that helps, some folks are there walking that fine line between should I have chicken again for lunch or shoot myself? <laughs> but even more important than that, people don't know what to say when you're released from a psych ward. You can't depend on Hallmark for this occasion. <laughs> Ms. Manners has yet to publish proper etiquette for greedy suicidal patients. So today I'd like to share what I learned during a four-year undercover study. They weren't four consecutive years. You'll want to ease the transition from loony bin to outside world. Therefore, laughter should wait until the third day after discharge, and then only at knock-knock speed. You might start with knock-knock. Um, Doris. The door is locked. That's why I'm knocking. <laughs> I love that one. And they'll relate to it, because there are plenty of locked doors where they just came from. Hey, man, you look like shit is not a good opener. Nor is this the time to play the Jewish mother. So tell me, did you meet anyone nice? And please don't say, your cat's a psycho loser too, should have been in there with you. One good icebreaker is to ask about roommates. Were they like George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life or Norman Bates in Psycho? Come on, people, these are old but classic cinematic references. One suicidal, one homicidal, it's fucking brilliant. Thank you. You Google George Bailey and Norman Bates on your way home tonight and see if you're not texting me later. Ha ha ha, you're so funny. <laughs> Personally, I don't get much sleep when my roommate's plotting to kill me. I'll take the angst-ridden jumper any day. Thank you. Thank yeah. Lord <laughs> crowd, everyone. Yeah, that was great. So I just want to say that um, the National Alliance of Mental Health in Institute, NAMI, N-A-M-I, said that... Uh, Hang on a minute, I have it. There's various treatments for um, mental illness. That's psychotherapy, medications, light therapy, exercise, and alternative approaches like acupuncture, meditation, and nutrition. Well, I say we should add to that stand-up comedy and be a force for good in the world. Uh, I'd like to leave you with a quote um, by Soren Kierkegaard to help inspire you to use your mental illness in your comedy. To dare is to lose one's footing momentarily. Not to dare is to lose oneself. Okay, that's it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lauren Kraut. That was amazing. That was our first master class on using your mental illness in your jokes. You're listening to the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. And coming up a little later, we're going to have the Jaron George podcast. And after that, we have another masterclass with Mean Dave, who's going to be talking about sobriety and comedy. He had done comedy uh, before, <laughs> uh, NA and AA and after, and a long time on both ends. So we're excited about that. Um, comedy before and after sobriety. But put your hands together one more time for Lauren Kraut. Yay! Woo! 
Thank you. And uh, we'll be back with more programming here on Mutant Radio.
that's where it's uh, it's kind of like six o'clock. Thank you. 